You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hi, everybody. Welcome to season two, the first episode of Curate Your Collection. In this series of podcasts, I will help you and me go from stash shame to curating our collection that we totally love. Here's what's happening on the farm. I do have headphones on, so I'm not sure that if you will be able to hear um, the dogs are being really unsettled this afternoon. Um, they are barking at neighbors. There are some large birds circling around that are giving them grief. And uh, so they're just kind of wolfing out there. Um, in the last weekend, we did tr- hoof trimming of the goats and the sheep and um, the goats are pretty easy to do because they have handles. They're easy to catch and they're smaller. I, the largest ones that we have, I want to say that they're maybe 60 pounds. Um, but, you know, they're short and they're, they're, they're not very heavy. Um, so they're pretty easy to capture. They're pretty easy to turn over. Um, when we do hoof trimming, we do it um, like we're doing a shearing. So we put them on their backs and you know lift their head up and cut their um, t- cut their toenails from that position. It's more comfortable for them and it's pretty easy access for us. Um, goats have typically have softer hoofs than a sheep, and so we tend to have to do their hoofs maybe once every six to eight weeks, something like that. The sheep can go a little bit longer um, unless it's really muddy in their field um, because they can get mud and rocks and things stuck between their hoofs and that can cause some irritation and make them be a little limp. Um, Now the sheep, of course, you've heard me say my sheep are fat um, and they're tall and they probably are in the neighborhood of 150 to 200 pounds, something like that. And there's no handle. And right now they're in full fleece. Um, we'll be shearing uh, in March. So it's really hard to turn them over. <laughs> so on the sheep, what we've been tending to do is we figure out who is having some foot issues, who's limping or whose feet don't look quite right. And we'll just do those sheep Um, because it takes a lot out of bill to, um, to turn, to, you know, capture them, turn them, and then to um, clip their toenails. So what's my function in this? So I'm the record keeper. I'm the person that's like bringing the little stool over wherever he does catch them. And we're doing this in a stall. So it's relatively um, a small area. Um, And then I do all the meds. So at the same time that we do um, hoofs, we also do um, health checks to make sure that they don't, that they're not anemic, um, that kind of thing. 
Um, so we've had this one sheep that ha hasn't looked good for the last two days. Um, and so we were able to get her up, get, and she was eating. Her eyes looked fine, so she was not anemic. Um, but she just was, wasn't getting up and around. So we trimmed her hoofs where she was, and then we were able to get her up and get her into a stall with a friend. They need to be with somebody that they know because otherwise um, they get really upset. Um, so she and a friend are in a stall where they have, you know, more water, they have more grain. Um, and so we're just kind of keeping an eye out on her. She's one of my older girls. So I want to say that she's probably in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 years old, something like that. So on these older ones, we just keep a, a closer eye on them. And um, I'm sure she's going to be fine. She's up and about, um, but she's just, we just have to, you know, get her on the road to recovery and then we can let her and her friend out with the rest of them again. So that's what's been happening on the farm. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about... Um, stash shame. And, you know, I looked up the definition of stash and they're saying it's Miriam Webster says a store or a supply of something, typically one that is kept hidden or secret. And that is the problem with that word. It's the hidden or secret part that I think causes the shame. So it has, you know, stash has a very negative connotation um, in, in, not just in the yarn world, I would say probably in the crafting world in general, because certainly I can have a stash of quilting fabric and I can have a stash of beads and paper um, and, um, what else would I have a stash of and yarn and definitely fiber to spin from the spinning habit, those kind of things. And it also kind of, like I just said, it's for your, my spinning habit or for my knitting habit or for my quilting habit. So there's also kind of that drug connotation with it as well. And, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about, their stash and it's and it all comes with so much um, shame attached to it. I already have so much yarn. Um, I I really don't need to have it. I don't think I deserve it. I should I really should use the yarn in my stash before I get anything else. Um, and of course, you know I you know how, where am I going to hide this so that my significant other doesn't find it? Or, you know, don't send that receipt because that receipt will go directly to my significant other's phone. And I don't want him knowing or her knowing that I'm buying more stash. So these are just some of the things that I've heard. Some of the things that I might possibly have said myself, and maybe you can also see yourself in those kind of comments. So we just need to stop it. Come on, people, stop it. We need to reframe how we're thinking about our raw materials. That's what they are. There are raw materials for our crafts. They're for our creativity. 
Therefore, the, the raw materials that we use to bring beauty into our world or onto our body, if we're making a beautiful sweater or a beautiful hat or some beautiful color work mittens, those are our raw materials for our creativity. And I think we need to get those materials out of those bags and boxes. We need to get them out from under the bed and out from the closet. And we need to smash that shame. And it needs to be out of our and banished from our vocabulary. So I am on a crusade of banishing the word stash from our vocabulary. And this I truly know from being an Esau teacher, from teaching public school, is when we are able to change our vocabulary, we're able to change our thinking. It changes our mindset. Just the words that we use change how we feel about ourselves, and it changes our behavior. If we change our vocabulary, we can be kinder to ourselves, right? If you change stash to collection, I just feel like I can be kinder to myself. It's not no longer a shameful thing. It's more of a, oh, these are my raw materials for my creativity. And if we change our vocabulary, then we can change our behavior as well. If we're not hiding those raw materials, if we have them closer to being out in the open, then we can, we can, use it more readily and the creativity might flow more easily. So what about collections? So the, the Merriam Webster definition of collection is a group of things or people, an assembly of items such as works of art, pieces of writing, natural objects, especially one that is systematically ordered. And that one is underlined, systematically ordered. You see the difference? It's an assembly of items, and it's including works of art and natural objects. And can you feel the difference when you say stash? When I say stash to myself, I kind of get like a inside, like a, like a tensing of a tensing of my insides. When I say collection, I feel like it's more like open and more relaxed. And I do think that this has a positive connotation. It's a collection. It's something that I am assembling such as works of art. And all collections have a curator. So I'm asking you to be the curator of your collection. So a curator is a keeper, again, from the dictionary, a keeper, a steward, a guardian, or a conservator. So think about that. The curator is the keeper. The curator is the steward that watches over or the guardian that watches over. And the curator is the conservator that will, again, look at the collection in total and decide what needs to be conserved about it. And the, a curator directs the collecting. 
If you're working in a museum, the curator is the one who brought all those objects together. It's a pretty cool job, right? And so if we are the curators of our own collection, it means that we are the ones that are going to be making those decisions. We're going to be making, we're going to be deciding how to, um, how to direct that collecting, which direction do we want our collection to go? Um, we are the ones that will make the, the decisions about sales or giveaways or purchases because we're the curator of that collection. So did you notice that as I making the decisions, you are in the driver's seat. You're in the one in charge of making those decisions. And I really like that. I really think that that it's, it's empowering. It's a more positive outlook on this. There was a woman that came into my booth. This was really early on when I first started selling at festivals. And she said, you know, I'm going to be retiring in a few years. So while I'm working, I'm building my collection so that when I'm retired, I have all this to choose from. And I thought that was also a really good outlook. So I really want you to be the curator of your collection. And isn't this the perfect time? I mean, really, you know, as I'm recording this, it's January um, 2021. Um, we are supposed to still be isolating we're supposed to still be staying at home. Um, we've got surges upon surges of this pandemic. I know we are back to limiting our, our going out time um, to instead of I'm not shopping every week anymore. Instead, I'm shopping maybe every 10 days or two weeks, something like that. Um, and it's winter. So both of those those things make this a really good time to go through your collection, just to put yourself onto your um, to-do list, to put this collection um, in on your to-do list so that you can, you know, make those decisions about your collection, where it's going, what direction you want it to go. And in the upcoming podcast, what I, what we'll be doing is I'm going to lead us through banishing the shame of our stash and falling back in love with the collection. And we'll be making decisions about what you love and what you don't love anymore. What brings you joy and what doesn't anymore. I know that when I did this a few years ago to my own stash, um, or last year I did it with my quilting stash and that but it, that took me about a week to go through, um, a couple hours every day for a week. And I, and so I'll be leading you through these exercises. I hope you choose to do it with me. Um, so that by the end of these few weeks, you will have the collection that you really love. I know that when I went through it with my quilting stash, oh my gosh, I felt so much better at the end. And I was able to give away some really great things to people um, and some to Goodwill as well. And now I have a collection of fabrics that I know that I'm going to use that are the raw materials 
that I'm going to want to uh, play around with at my sewing machine. So until next time, I'd love you to start working on your vocabulary. Take out that word stash and change it with collection. See how it makes you feel when you talk about it. And I want you to think about what it, what it means to you to be a curator and how you would like to curate your collection. And if you'd like to make the process more accountable, then and as you're going through and if you're putting anything on social media, use the hashtag collection curator. I started this a couple years ago. And so there's several um, posts on there on hashtag collection curator. Uh, put that on social media posts. So next time we're going to be talking about meaningful visits with your collection. We're going to talk about doing a KonMari technique of finding the joy in your collection and much, much more. So until next time, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making. <laughs>